All right, let me open up in prayer as we uh, as we begin. Our gracious Lord and eternal God, we do want to praise you and give you great thanks, Lord, for another day. We thank you, Lord, for your blessings upon us. We thank you, Lord, for our rich salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, uh, even under these circumstances, to continue to get together and to look into your word. And we pray, Lord, that you indeed would uh, bless our time in your word and the discussion. And we pray, Lord, that uh, it would be a blessing to us. So we commit our time to you now, and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> all right, we're kind of moving into uh, Job uh, chapter uh, 3. In the uh, 1500s, a Spanish mystic uh, going by the name of St. John of the Cross, he wrote a poem. He wrote a poem called uh, Noche Oscura, uh, the, the Dark Night, and uh, which came to be later on entitled The Dark Night of the Soul. And it was a, originally, it was a devotional um, uh, describing a steps in a spiritual journey uh, to God and to be more uh, in union with God. Uh, part of the process was this purgation or letting go of all that would hinder uh, one's uh, journey uh, to get to, to know God and have union union with God. And that uh, purgation was often a painful process, but necessary to achieve uh, union with God. However, ever since then, uh, the the concept of the dark night of the soul uh, came to be used in a much broader uh, definition, a broader sense. And it's been applied to just about any sort of severe trial, particularly a severe spiritual trial. Uh, the dark night of the soul uh, has come to mean a, 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 a period of spiritual desolation, um, disconnection and emptiness in which one feels almost entirely separated uh, from God. And those who uh, undergo this dark night uh, often feel completely lost. Uh, they feel uh, separated they feel hopeless, oftentimes consumed by a melancholy. And the dark night can often be equated with a spiritual or severe spiritual uh, depression. Um, it's uh, sort of a spiritual emergency. It's not the same exact thing as clinical depression which arises from organic psychological and uh, chemical imbalances and such, but the symptoms can mimic depression. Um, but this is no ordinary depression. It is a depression uh, that is linked to a crisis of faith, um, a crisis that comes and one senses this uh, kind of absence of God and gives, often gives rises to feelings of abandonment by him and others, and an overwhelming feeling, perhaps, of loneliness. 
And one of the characteristics of this dark night is often the questions that are being generated. Uh, the kind of one begins to wrestle with the large existential questions of life. Uh, you know, why am I alive? Uh, what is, what is my purpose in life? Uh, is this all there is? You know, where is God? <clears throat> and the dark night is a struggle. Um, but it's a struggle towards something better, though one may not even know what that better is yet. Um, it's a bit like, it's a bit like, uh, you know, the, uh, the old cocoon, the butterfly cocoon, uh, in order for that, uh, butterfly to become a butterfly, it has to wrestle out of that cocoon. All right. And that's kind of the, the struggle that goes on, uh, in the dark night. <clears throat> um, the dark night can be dangerous. Uh, one might succumb to the despair, to the loneliness, to the hopelessness, and either kind of just resign and accept, well, this is my life now, worse or, or worse. One may even seek to end one's life and escape. Of course, these choices both are counterproductive to where one needs to go and are just plain wrong. The only way to discover the purpose of noche oscura is to continue the journey until you find the light. And so we open up to Job chapter 3, and we encounter Job pretty much going through the dark night of the soul. Let me read, uh, let me read chapter 3 to you. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, a boy is born. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadow claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May it not be included amongst the days of the years, nor be entered in any of the months. May the, that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from, my, uh, from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins, with rulers who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. But why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They, are no, they no longer hear the slave drivers shout. 
The small and the great are there, and the slave is freed from his master. Why is life given to those in misery, and little, and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave? Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing comes to me instead of food, my groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me, what I, I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. Now imagine that you are uh, one of Job's friends, and you have been sitting there for a week, comforting Job, not saying anything, and then... He says all that. He pours out his, his heart to you. So the question becomes, does chapter 3 justify desperate feelings of futility? Does chapter 3 justify desperate feelings of futility? What do you think? I, I think it does, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyone else? Any thoughts? Sorry, Pastor Bob, would you repeat the whole question? Does chapter three justify desperate feelings of futility? Futility. Uh, the, everything that Job just clouded. It mean make it right or just acknowledge that it happens. I think that chapter three may not say that it's you know, it's good to have these things, but it acknowledges our humanity and it acknowledges that we have these feelings. Okay. Well, I'm feeling bad after reading the chapter, so I didn't even go through what Joe went through. <laughs> um. Yeah, the, I think, you know, many times, you know, uh, particularly as Christians, uh, we are very uh, almost fearful of our emotions. We are almost uh, hesitant uh, to grieve or to complain and uh, um, to ask uh, certain questions. And one of the things that uh, I think that this chapter uh, opens up for us is this whole idea of, you know, it's, 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 it's human to hit rock bottom. It's human to have have these feelings at times, depending upon what one is going through. You know, other other characters in the Bible uh, have also had their dark night of the soul. <laughs> okay, somebody's moving around a lot, so if you we just want to put yourselves on mute until uh, you're talking, that'd be helpful. <laughs> Other characters in the Bible have had this journey. 
take, for example, Elijah. Elijah the prophet, he has this great, great victory. All right. And uh, what happens immediately after that is that in First Kings 18 and such, Elijah comes crashing down emotionally and spiritually. And uh, Jezebel is out to get him and uh, he flees and he runs out into the wilderness. And First Kings 19, 3 and 4, we read, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. All right, so here's, here's one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, and he comes to a point of despair. You know, he's like, take my life, I'm done. All right. Uh, other characters are, you know, King David was another fine example. Uh, listen to his words in Psalm 31, starting at verse 9. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. Any of us who read through the Psalms know uh, David was a man of emotion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those Psalms uh, are often a roller coaster of emotion from the very, very high points uh, of jubilation and praise and let us go into the house of the Lord uh, to that of repentance and confession. And like Psalm 51, uh, you know, my bones are, are breaking within me uh, when I did not confess and, and all the way to Psalms like this of utter despair. That where David is in that dark night, he feels abandoned. He feels, uh, you know, life, uh, is hopeless. Uh, and, uh, you know, he just, but he just calls out and he expresses his honesty to God. Um, and I think this is one thing that, uh, you know, we do not have to be afraid of is being honest with God. All right. Yeah. Can I, uh, you know, yes. can I make a comment? Yeah, I have yeah, a comment. Yeah, yeah I think the, this is tied into what they call the grieving process. When someone suffers a great loss, pain, uh, different types of suffering, that if, we, if, if that person keeps it in, uh, the end result is not going to be good. That person could just short circuit eventually because he felt so much pain and didn't say anything about it. He just kept it in. And like you mentioned before, a Christian might think that uh, it's not pleasing to God should we complain. But yet you pointed out some great examples of godly men who we know, who were in the scriptures, who uh, the scriptures were written through. Uh, you had Paul the Apostle, you had Elijah, you had David. All these men, they were able to voice pain and suffering that they had gone through. Christ himself, uh, he voiced his sufferings he said father if this uh 
if if it be your will, can this cup pass from me? He, uh, I, some people interpret that differently, but uh, the suffering process is never something that's wanted. It's not enjoyed, but we all know it does happen. And that to come through healthy on the other side, uh, it needs to be voiced. If it's not voiced, it's, you're, 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 kind of, you're trying to short circuit something that if it is short circuit, short circuited, there'll be great problems in the end. So we don't want, yeah, we don't, I, we don't want to do that. Yeah. Good points, Jeff. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going where I'm going. And, uh, I just want to give another one was Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the prophet, you know, somebody, uh, uh, one time wrote a book on, on the prophets. Uh, I forget the guy's name, Herschel something or something Herschel. I forget his name, but the opening line was something, uh, to be a prophet, was both a blessing and an affliction, you know, and it's really uh, so true in the sense that the prophets were, you know, blessed to be the mouthpiece of God. But if you read what the the Lord had the prophets go through, it almost seemed like an affliction. All right. Uh, Jeremiah was a perfect example. He grew very angry at God and he, he was tired of being a prophet um, because of all the ill consequences he experienced. And in Jeremiah 20, beginning of verse 14, we read his lament, and it will sound very familiar. Cursed be the day I was born. It's almost verbatim from Job. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news. You made him very glad, saying, a child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in my womb with my mother as my grave, a womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Again, this is, this is heavy stuff. This is desperate despair, despondency. Okay. Why was I born? All right. Just, you know, I am tired of, of life. I am tired of being a prophet. Um, I, you know, just kill me and let me get out of here. Um, yes, and then as, as Jeff made mention, uh, just a second, uh, of course, Jesus went through his own dark night of the soul in Gethsemane. Okay. In Gethsemane, remember that he was in such anguish and he prayed earnestly that his sweat became like, like blood falling to the ground. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watching with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but your will. And he went there a second time and he prayed this, the same thing over. So Gethsemane was, was, was something of Jesus' own dark night of the soul. Uh, yeah, I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say that it, what this teaches me and I think all of us is how important it is to just keep strengthening our faith, you know, because we're not guaranteed that we're not going to go through these, uh, this hardship and these troubles and, and come to a point of helplessness. And all of these men just clung onto their faith. So all these things that were said were said to God and they didn't give up their faith, you know, because I think we know that if our faith is weak and times of trouble come and, and 
Jesus said, in this world we will have trouble. It's so easy to just let go of our faith if it's not, you know, we're not grounded in it. Um, so as we're learning this, it just reinforces how important it is that we keep on growing, growing in our faith. Uh, because, uh, you know, there are going to be times that are coming, you know, if they have not come already, you know, there's just no way of knowing what's to come tomorrow. Um, so I think it's just so, um, you know, it's, 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 it's so good to know that these men just clung onto their faith and just didn't let it go no matter what their lives were like. I mean, Job lost everything and they just said all these things, but if they were said to God, you know, he just still had a relationship with God. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's that clinging to that, maybe that, that last shred, that last thread of, of faith in God during all of this despair and questioning uh, that got them through it. As I said earlier on, uh, the only, only way uh, that the dark night is profitable if we get to the end, if we come out the other side, um, if we get to the light. You know, uh, God, you know, in his words, says that he'll, he, he'll often send trials uh, to strengthen our faith. Um, we pray that he doesn't send us into a dark night of the soul, okay? Because it's not a, a good place to be, all right? Um, it's a wrestling place um, and a, a difficult place. Um, but uh, the only thing that will get us through that is to cling to that faith, even when we don't believe it's working, even when we don't see God. That's what, these, that's what all these prophets uh, and, and even Jesus himself were feeling. God was silent. He was, they felt abandoned. All right. Uh, there was no explanation. All right. I mean, and it, and it generated those deep, deep questions of, of faith and life and purpose, uh, that, that they, you, you wrestle through. And, I, you know, I, I don't want to, to put anybody on the spot, but I think most of us have had our dark nights. Uh, in our in our lives, at least for for a, a, a moment, you know, sometimes a dark dark night can last a long time. You know, uh, as I mean, uh, Job. Uh, we don't really know how long it is, but it's a long book, <laughs> according within the Bible. And there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of questioning. Uh, so this was not an overnight thing, or you know, or a couple of days. Or, for a week, this went on for quite a while, and uh, you know it's it's a process that uh, you can't rush through, um, and that's why it is so very vital uh, to just hold on in faith. And you know, faith is the essence of things unseen. I can't see the end, but I'm just holding on to what I know. All right, I can't explain what's happening, but I'm holding on to what I know. All right, and and that becomes so so very important. And we always go ahead. Yeah, um, speaking very personally, um, what was very helpful to me uh, during our recent um, uh, trial time was uh, counsel to be um, very watchful and careful that you do not go to despair that you guard your heart against it, that despair was a, um, 
a downward spiral and a place that you did not want to be in for a protracted period of time that um, it took, uh, and I found it extremely helpful because when I felt uh, myself emotionally going into despair, I recognized it as a uh, really dangerous place to be uh, spiritually primarily, but certainly psychologically and emotionally and even socially. So um, what kept um, me from despair, and I think Peter also, was centering back on the word and feeling actually the Holy Spirit ministering to us and uh, rescuing us, as it were, from despair. We had um, wonderful resources, devotional books, you know, godly friends pouring truth into our lives. But um, the, the fight against despair um, was um, a battle that was worth fighting for, definitely. It was, um, it, we, were, we were able to, the goal was to not survive, but to thrive. Mm -hmm. And I think um, using you know, working hard at fighting despair really enabled us to, um, through the power of the Holy Spirit for certain and immensely and assuredly to achieve that goal. You know, one of the beauties in, of the many beauties of the scripture is that it doesn't, it doesn't present people as happy, snappy people who just, you know, go about their business and everything is fine and dandy that we all, even the, the men of God that are, that are presented in scripture have these times and that God does, you know, in Job, we actually see behind all this stuff and what is going on, but in many places you don't, but in every place, God intervenes and, 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 and says, you know what? It's okay. You can cry. You can do this. You can, you can be upset, but you know what? I'm here. And I'm behind, I, I have this in control. I have your back. Um, and that's, I think, the one of the, one of the many glories of Scripture. It, it presents so many people, like you mentioned, Elijah, Paul, you know, who have these periods where they're – and David, who have these periods where everything just seems to be falling down on their heads. And yet God almost, you know, pats them on the shoulder and says, hey, I got you. You know, and it's, it's that kind of, of reassurance that makes, uh, you know, I don't know how you get through this kind of life without, without God, without uh, Christ. So, you know, it gives you special reassurance. Yes, yes. Thank you both for sharing that. And, it, and it's true. And as I mentioned before, going into a dark night can be dangerous, um, especially if you are not grounded uh, in the truth. What often happens is that we focus on the unexplainable, the, the, you know, the things that we don't have answers for, the questions of why, and we don't focus on the things that are revealed and that we know and that we have been living by day by day. And if we don't have that, then we have nothing because we can't explain this, all right, and we can't fall back on that. And uh, that's why oftentimes when people uh, so-called Christians who may, you know, <laughs> Uh, be good churchgoers all the time, but something tragic happens in life. Uh, they get angry with God. They get despondent and, and then they walk away and they blame God. 
All right. And uh, <clears throat> the fact is that they, they never really uh, knew God in the first place. And they never really had God in the first place. Um, but even for those of us who do, all right, the dark night is still, you know, a wrestling. It's, uh, it's very hard. It's a very much a testing. And um, uh, you have to, uh, you know, kind of fight against it. But on the other hand, we have to recognize as humans, you're going to cry out in it. And, you know, you're going to express your emotions. In chapter three here, Job is pouring out his heart. Why was I born? You know, if this is all that life is, that I end up here on the ash heap, having lost everything. And now, you know, my, my health is, is, you know, uh, draining away and I'm in a, a grotesque state. Why? And I was, I was living a good, a good life. I was a good guy. All right. So, and, and now his friends, uh, you know, are, are listening to this and they, they're soon going to, to, uh, step in. But again, you know, even when we look at, at Christ, you know, Christ was an emotional person. You know, Christ did not, you know, Christ was not some sort of stoic, you know, the old uh, keep the stiff up a lip through everything, you know, that type of stuff. Um, the Gospels consistently show Jesus as a person of emotions. Think about all the different emotions. Here's a, a, a one person who writes this. Uh the gospel writers paint their portraits of Jesus using a kaleidoscope of brilliant emotional colors. Jesus felt compassion. He was angry, indignant, consumed with zeal. He was troubled, greatly distressed, very sorrowful, depressed, deeply moved, and grieved. He sighed, he wept, and sobbed, he groaned, he was in agony, he was surprised and amazed. He rejoiced very greatly and was full of joy. He greatly desired and he loved. In our quest to be like Jesus, we often look, overlook his emotions. Jesus reveals what it means to be fully human and made in the image of God. His emotions reflect the image of God without any deficiency or distortion. Yes, go ahead, Phil. Um, so the, having the knowledge of the book of Job gives me an insight that Job didn't have if I happen to be going through something like this. That's saying, God, could you be testing my faith? Could all this be happening to test my faith? Please help me keep it strong. That's something that Job maybe never considered, that, that the whole thing was a test. But now we have the benefit of uh, saying that could be possibly... Another possible answer to the why, you know, instead of getting caught up in the why. Yeah, don't forget, we, you know, we're peeking behind the curtain that Job can't see. We, we, we know what's going on, and we have the benefit of the rest of Scripture that he didn't. All right, and we're specifically told that you know uh, sometimes trials will come to test our faith, to refine our faith, and to make it stronger and better. Mister Bob. Yes, Annette. I don't know. I, I think I have two points. I don't know if you call them points or whatever, but if you don't talk to God about the good and the bad, then how can that be a personal relationship? If you have a relationship with anyone, you just don't fear telling them what's going on in your life, whether it's good or bad. 
So I think that's a real test of a relationship, would you say? I mean, you just, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me not to be able to do that. So when people as Christians think that that's wrong, I don't get that at all because we pray for certain things that obviously we're not praying because everything is perfect. Uh, we would, we would want to say thank you, praise him. But when we pray, a lot of times we ask for things that really get us down. Um, my other thing is that I think that, um, when, if we are to reach a certain dark place, um, even temporarily, I don't mean stay in there. Don't you think that's a spiritual warfare between Christ and the devil? It, it's, it brings us to a point where we know that we should, with his power, he can get us out of that um, by being connected to him, as we've said. But I think it's, it's a battle constantly going on in our lives, in, in everyone's life. Do you think? I, I think... Uh, <coughs> First point was was very good. Okay, um, you know we we are we want to communicate our whole person to God. Right. All right, and you're right. I mean, if I just talk about the good things, uh, <laughs> then that's like talking about half of me. Uh, yes. Only, and and I think that this is important even in, in our fellowship. You know, a lot of times, you know, Christians we always want to just put on that little smiley face. Like everything is fine, and uh, you know we we don't share the 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 deeper and the more painful things with one another, and that that hurts you know both ways. One, you can't find any sort of support or relief, sure. and two, you know uh, the person uh, is is unable to help, mm-hmm. um, which is which is part of the body. That's about um, uh, this, yeah. this. This is John. Good morning. Um, I I have a different side of this that I don't I, I get a little confused. I don't think that Job is talking to God here. I think Job is talking to the three friends that are there, or he's talking maybe even just talking to himself in this. And I think that that there's an element of that as far as being honest with your friends uh, when you're going through a hard time uh, or a, a dark night of the soul it is important as well. Um, but I've heard several say that they think they're, he's talking to God. I don't see that. I see him talking to his friends or talking to himself and expressing an, an honest human emotion. Well, I, th- I think he's, he's probably doing both. I mean, obviously his friends are there, but, uh, you know, he, and he will be answering his, his friends directly throughout here. Um, but his complaints and his cries and his despair um, is is also going to God, as we'll see uh, again and again. He's he's asking God, "Why are you silent? Why this? Why that? Where are you? Face me!" All right, and uh, and he does it within the context uh, often of the dialogue with his friends. And uh, so we'll see how that develops a, a, as it goes on. Can I ask a question? Sure. So he, you can complain to God. You can almost blame God, but wh- when do you cross over? When did you, you know you're in, you're in despair, you're in difficulty, you're crying out to God, you're complaining, maybe even understanding God's doing this. When does it become a sin? When do you? When have you gone over the over the top? Even blaming God, if you're still where where does it go awry? Job hasn't yet, but 
where where would he have gone awry? Well, I think it, I think it goes awry when you fulfill the devil's purpose, curse God. Mm. That's what that's what that's Satan's goal in this, right? The Satan uh, wants wants Job to curse God. Mm. Uh, that that's where you cross the line. Uh, if you, re- you read closely, the prophets, you know, like you say, Sal, they uh, they get very angry with God and they accuse him of all sorts of things. I believe, if I remember correctly, uh, Jeremiah, uh, in his complaints to God, uh, actually says to God, you raped me in the Hebrew. All right. Because, you know, uh, you know, it's not fair. You know, you called me to do this and they didn't do it. And, you know, you weren't fair. And. I mean, he really goes off on God, and uh, and but somehow that's not crossing the line. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, you know it. And again, you know, God understands His cre- creation. He understands our emotions, but we can use our emotions for for wrong. We, I think, I think what we get kind of get out of this is that. We need to be honest about our emotions and about our emotions with God and one another when possible. Um, I think that that's being fully human. You know, Christ could do that, but he could do it without sin. Oftentimes we do it, but we sin in doing it. You know, that's why the apostle writes, you know, be angry, but sin not. All right. Because, you know, our anger leads us to sin rather than just being angry and maybe spouting off or something like that. Um, so, you know, we, we are always have to, that, that, that double wrestling with our sinful side uh, in, as well as with our emotional side. So it becomes very complex. Um, you know, but like, like I think what's, you know, kind of opening my eyes as I, I put, uh, went through this lesson is just how many, people in in the the bible and this is probably not an exhaustive list this is what you know i came across um went through this dark night and uh you know it's you know it's really part of of being almost being human you know and again it sometimes it's a short time sometimes it's a longer time uh but we all hit that point and we, we have those questions of why you know I'll give you a personal example. You know, remember when my, my son and uh, uh, Tina, she was pregnant with Toby and the doctors did all these blood exams and all because, you know, she was older and such and she was having trouble. And uh, it came back flagged for two serious genetic defects. And the doctors, you know, kind of hinted that maybe they might want to consider aborting. And we prayed and you as a church prayed with me and, um, you know, praise be to God. Uh, they went through with the pregnancy. Toby was born. He's perfectly fine. <clears throat> All right. And we rejoiced and praise God. All right. Um, and yet then she was pregnant again. And there was trouble and, and, and the baby was born premature. Ethan was uh, born prematurely. And uh, the doctors were like, well, if he gets through the night, maybe he has 50% chance. And he got through the night and we were praying fervently and, you know, uh, really looking for God to again do a second miracle here. On the second day, he died. And it was like, 
why? You know, why? And you begin to get those those big questions of life. Why put her through the pregnancy and have the, a live birth and just for two days, all right? And, you know, how how trouble, you know, and they're good Christians. And, hey, I'm a pastor, you know, come on, guy. God, you know, uh, you know, what's, what, what's with this? And uh, so, you know, all of us have been probably touched by sorrow or tragedy. Um, and we have maybe it's that dark night is short, maybe for, you know, a couple of days. We have that, that questioning, that concern. And, but we, you know, me and the family, you know, we, we wept, we, we sorrow and uh, uh, wept with my, my son and daughter-in-law, but we held on. We held on to knowing, knowing that God is good. And I can't explain it. I don't have an answer of why that happened, but I know that God is good. And you hold on to that and it pulls you through and you come out. And I still don't have an answer. All right. But I, I, I'm trusting more in God and someday I will. In glory, we'll have, we'll have our answers in glory for all those why questions you all have. Or why did this happen? Or why did not that happen? All right. Um, in glory, we'll have the answer. But for now, we're looking through that glass darkly and, and we don't know. And this is where faith and trust come in. Excuse me. Uh, Jesus was fully human. All right. Jesus experienced all of these emotions. Uh, you know, uh, and that's why he can be our high priest. You know, listen to a couple of these verses in, in Hebrews. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is also able to help those who are being tempted. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. I think that should be very comforting to all of us, that Jesus knows the dark night. Jesus knows uh, those feelings of despondency uh, to the point of such anguish that he sweat blood. So he understands his creation. And so we come like Job's friends. We're sitting around Job. We've just heard his discourse. Curse the day I was born. So what are you saying? What do you say to somebody in that dark night of the soul? Well, his friends are about to speak. And before we, we hear them, all right, we need to understand a couple of things. One is that, uh, his three friends are coming from a fundamental worldview, which was simply this. All right. Bad things happen to you 
because you did bad things. Good things happen to you because you did good things. And throughout this dialogue, his friends press and pressure Job to repent. Because obviously, bad things have happened to you, Job, so you must have done bad things. And you'll see that kind of recurring throughout uh, the uh, dialogues. Now, one of the reasons why I don't think that his friends are motivated by the Satan is because they're trying to get Job to repent. Uh, repentance is always good. Satan never wants us to do anything good. So even though they're, they're misplaced uh, they're, in, in their thinking, their goal is not a bad goal. You understand what I'm saying here? You know, that uh, repentance is always good, and Satan never wants us to repent of anything. So if they were motivated by Satan, they would be pressuring him to, like his wife, curse God and die. All right? So we can go home and get out of here. All right? That type of thing. <clears throat> Pastor Bob, the other thing, too, when you're dealing with these three friends, even though their counsel may have been misguided or, mis, or mis, I don't know, I'm not mistaken, misguided, there's a lot of great things we can we can learn, even scripturally, doctrinally, believably, faith. It's in the scriptures for a reason. So we we might be tempted to just discard what they're saying because we think we know that they might be they're wrong, but they're wrong. But in in some ways, they're right, and I think we we, sh- we can learn from them. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That was the second point, John. Oh, sorry, Pastor. Sorry. No, that's good. Yeah, it's good that you're you're ahead of me there. But secondly. <laughs> Uh, these friends, they're going to say a lot of good, solid, doctrinally true things, except that they're applying it wrong. All right, and that's, and that's what makes it so difficult to, to kind of analyze these arguments, because you go through it and you say, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right, all right, but then they apply it wrong, and therefore, Job, you did bad things. So we, you really have to sift out uh what these uh, friends are going to be saying uh, to Job. And like John said, uh, they say some wonderful things about God. And it's all, it's all true. And it can be verified from the rest of Scripture. All right? And, uh, and even, even this worldview, all right, uh, uh, has its root in Scripture. All right? What does it say? What does it say in Galatians? God is not mocked. Uh, a man, what, what you reap, you sow. Right. And uh, so, you know, so this this is what I mean by the fact that they're going to say a lot of sound things, a lot of good things. Um, but then they seem to try to uh, from go from there and to apply it in a way that doesn't fit the circumstance. And this is this is where they, they go off track. And, you know, not to give a, a spoiler alert here, but at the end, uh, God is angry with these three friends for what, what counsel they give, all right? Um, so, I mean, he doesn't strike them dead or anything, but, you know, he's angry with them, and he says, you know, that they need to sacrifice and and repent, basically, all right? So uh, so we'll be having some of that as we go through it. Um, what time is it here? All right. Pastor Bob? Yes. <clears throat> Aren't they basing everything, um, it's not necessarily these three friends, as you say, they're doing 
they're they're trying to uplift him and, and so but it's done through works so in other words before jesus came that was the way it was you're a good person so good things are going to happen to you you're bad you did bad things bad things are going to happen to you and um so you know obviously we know we're not saved through works but by grace and they don't know that they don't know christ they don't know him at all you know so i i feel that it's um you know it's it's a it's a human nature to try to uplift people by saying well you've always been good and that's what people think today even you know good is good and so you should receive good you will not receive bad sure there may be some of that um it depends uh you know as we said in the beginning this is probably uh Job probably existed probably uh, after after Abraham and if, but if that's the case we have to remember that uh scriptures tells us in Galatians also that the gospel was preached to Abraham all right and but it was you know it was in shadow form it was in kernel form you know uh, through you all the nations will be blessed mm. all right um which was pointing to the uh the savior the messiah all right so so we understand that job uh no doubt had that all right and we'll see job makes some outstanding uh confessions of faith uh-huh. uh, throughout this all right in in that promise in the promises of god all right so you know yes they don't have the the full gospel like we have right uh, right they only have it in kernel or shadow form but the promise uh is there uh-huh. pastor bob yes yeah Yeah, yeah, quick comment. What we could take away from Job's friends were that uh, the uh, concept of assumption. Like we've already mentioned, they assumed. They assumed that because of uh, the concept of what was going on in his life, that there had to be something wrong. And that's a dangerous thing when we go to the assumptions. Uh, that's uh, basically what they did. Now, and also, it's First uh, Peter 1.7. I think is also key in this that we have that they did not have the refining of one's faith. Uh, you know, as far as the trials that are going to come our way, not if, because trials will come our way. That it's, uh, it's to grow and to become more like Christ through them. That this is what we have. To me, this is the answer of the whys of bad things happen in our lives as a believer. All, all things work to good to those that love the Lord who are called according to his purposes. This we have as rock solid truth when I don't understand really why, but I do because the scripture says that something greater is going to be on the other side of this. Now, this is what I have to hold on to. Now, and if I, and you mentioned this already because if we did not have the truth of God's word to hold on to, then I might not come through. That's my lifeline is the truth of the word of God. Uh, so to me, when I, when I see trials come my way or someone else's way, that God is at work here for good, not for bad. And that's a good thing. And, and that's something that can, you know, help someone come through that dark night or forever, how long that period of time would be, is that God's going to bring us out. So uh, it's, uh, to me, there is an answer that God is at work with finding my faith that he be glorified, uh, that my faith would increase, that the faith that I had or the experience that I had with God is going to become better, more more fulfilled, 
a richer experience, taking me into maturity. So that's, that's what I see as an answer to the whys of, of the bad things that happen in a believer's life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and the theme that goes through Job here mm-hmm. is the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously he doesn't have the Romans verse to fall back on, but he knows that God is sovereign. All right. Uh, he's in control of all things. Yeah. And that, that is what periodically comes out, uh, through this. Um, and yes, you know, we are very grateful for those verses. Those are very true verses and we, they, they console us a great deal. Um, but at times it's hard to grasp them depending upon the tragedy you're going through, the dark night that you're in. Yeah. You know, you try to tell somebody who's burying their, their child, all things work together for good. Um, that's maybe not what they want to hear right then. Right. But uh, see, again, you know, we have to rightly with wisdom know how to apply the truth of God's word. Because you're absolutely right. At that time, it would be a shame to try and preach scripture to them. But it's down the road that these things are going to keep that person uh, strong. But you know, at the time when you're going, when someone's going through a great uh, period of duress, my greatest goal is to say as little as possible to just be there. And the scripture says to weep with those that weep, rejoice with those that rejoice. So if you're going through a period in your life that you're weeping, you lost a child or grandchild. My job is to weep with you, not to try to instruct you at that time, but it's the truth of God's word as that person is, is going to help that person eventually come out in a good place. Yes. Anyone else? I was just going to say, you know, one of the one of the songs that I like that we're actually going to be doing today is Race a Hallelujah. And, you know, it talks about, you know, crying out to God, you know, in the middle of it says in the middle of the mystery. You know, sometimes we don't know how, what the end holds. Right. Most of the times we don't know what the end holds. Um, yet we cry out to God and, and we give him praise and we just put it all in his hands, knowing that he is a good God, knowing that in the end. He saved our souls. So no matter what we're going through, we know what the end outcome is going to be, is that we're going to be in his arms once we get to see him in glory. And that and that should be sufficient for us. Um, yes, it hurts. And, and, and he doesn't promise that we're going to have a bed of roses here, you know, that we're not going to go through any struggles. And when you look at the disciples and all the struggles that they went through and the deaths that they died, we know for sure that it's not going to be an easy road. And so we just praise him and we trust in him and we just, you know, cry out to him and, and, and raise a hallelujah. And we just trust in him and give him praise for all things that he does, not knowing the end, because we're, we're, we're not required to know the end to give him praise. Thanks, Steve. <coughs> Anyone else? Any final thoughts before we close? Uh, I passed it. Pass it uh, yes. Just want to say one thing. I think uh, uh, Bob, uh, what, Job has such a, such a godly man, that's why Satan wanted to attack him. If he wasn't have so, so much, clo- so close relationship with God, he probably won't get this, uh, bad experience. Like, <laughs> that's what I yeah. You're, you're right, because that was the, basically the terms, uh, back in chapter one. <clears throat> you know, have you seen my, my servant Job? He's the most godly man, man on earth. All right. And, and that kind of set the whole trial in motion. Okay. 
Um, so yes, you know, they say that, uh, you know, uh, a vibrant Christian is a, is, is a, a shining mark for Satan. You know, if, if you are quote a Christian and you're doing nothing and you're just sitting, yeah. taking up a pew and you're not serving the king or the kingdom, Satan's not much interested in you because you're not a threat. All right. But if you're living a vibrant Christian life, if you're serving him wholeheartedly, if you're influencing and impacting the lives of other people, he wants to put you out of commission. All right. And so, you, you know, you become that prey that the, the lion is, is after and he seeks to, uh, you know, put stumbling blocks in front of you as best that he can. But, uh, but you know, uh, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So we have no fear. So, all right, uh, we're going to uh, end here. Um, I would suggest uh, maybe reading uh, chapters 4 through uh, 14. Uh, because, like I say, we're going to be taking some bigger chunks here. We're not going to go verse by verse. We're just going to look at some of the dialogues in the broad picture, all right, and uh, discuss maybe some significant significant verses there. Also, since I have a whole bunch of you on here, uh, be praying for us uh, regarding uh, what steps to take in reopening the church, all right? Um, you know, Governor Cuomo restricted the limitations a little bit to 25% capacity, uh, but there's still that social distancing bug that uh, really hinders us. But uh, we're going to revisit it and see if there's uh, something that we can do to uh, have at least a partial, uh, some sort of partial get-together. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we just need some some wisdom in that regard, and you know, um, I know that there, are, you know, we we we're all over the 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 board on on what to do on this. Uh, uh, you know, very anxious, to very conservative. So we just need your continued prayers. So let's close out uh, today. And uh, uh, Jeff, can I ask you to close us out? Yes, yeah, sure. Father, we thank you today for the truth. <laughs> Word, Lord, we thank you that uh, you're a God of love, a God of redemption, Father, and, and the trials that we do go through, that we will go through as your people, Father, we have the promises of God to keep us, Lord. We thank you for the light of Scripture that is a, a light, a lamp unto our paths, Father, uh, and we need that, Lord. We, we need the, the truth, the, the, the faith of, uh, uh, in you, Lord, to help us go through these trials, Father, and, and not only that, Lord, we need one another. You've given us one another to encourage one another, Father, to help and bear one another's burdens, your word says, to, as, as I said before, to weep with those that weep, uh, rejoice with those that rejoice, Lord, the, the body of Christ, Father, with Christ as the head, Father, we thank you for uh, the truth, Lord, the truth that you've given to us that we have this day, Father, that we're uh, a believer is planted on truth, Lord, which is the word of God, which will last forever, Lord as we will last forever with you, Lord, into eternity. So we thank you that even though we do have pain and suffering here, that there is another side, there is a glory on the other side, Lord. So we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, Father, in this life and in the life to come, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good to see you all here. We'll be having communion in our service, so you can assemble your elements and, and get ready for that. Okay. See you in service. Okay. Right. Thank you, Pastor. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.